We continue with our 40 days of progress, and this is sermon number three. Our scripture reading is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and may I request everybody to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. It's just one verse, so I'd like everyone to read together. Let's read together. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Thank you so much. Please take your seats. Thank you so much, Squire, also for a very beautiful anthem this morning, declaring the excellencies of God. Amen? Amen. So last week, we've been talking about the word goodness. That's the first habit, the first quality that we have to add to our faith. When you say goodness, it means moral excellence. And as Christians, we are to pursue moral excellence because the God that we worship, the God that we serve, is an excellent God. Amen? Amen. Now we come to the second habit. And according to Bob Dyer, education is always a plus, and we can never have too much of it. I thought I knew a lot of things, and I found out there was a lot I didn't know. And here's a man who graduated college at the age of 90, back in 2019. See, he started his college in in 1940s, <laughs> but many things happened. He thought he knew. He became a very, you know, successful manufacturer, but later on learned that I need to learn. I need to learn more. I need to study more, and that is why he graduated. He was famous for being the oldest, you know, graduate during that year in the North Eastern Illinois University, right? Now, what is true to our academic is very true to our spiritual life. Amen? We think we know a lot about God. We think we know a lot about our Christian life or life in general. But you know what? We can never exhaust our knowledge of God. There are still many more things to know about God. Even if some of us have read the Bible many times, page after page, there will always be something new to learn about God in His Word. Amen? He can never be exhausted. And that is why the second habit to grow, according to St. Peter, to add to our faith is knowledge. According to John Stott, okay, one of the spiritual advisors to the late Queen of England, he said, knowledge is indispensable to Christian life and service. If we do not use the mind that God has given us, we condemn ourselves to spiritual superficiality, superficiality and cut ourselves off from many of the riches of God's grace. And that is true. The reason why there are so many superficial Christians today, 
why there are so many Christian atheists. It's even a contradiction to say Christian atheists. Christian atheists, by the way, that's the term used to those people who say they believe in God, they believe in Jesus, they know Jesus, they know the Bible, but the way they live, they live as if Jesus, the Bible, God doesn't exist. So many Christian atheists today, you know, when they die, they would say, they would go back to churches. They would ask the pastor to bury them. When they were born, they would ask, you know, the pastor to bless them, to, to baptize them. But for the rest of their lives, they belong to the world. Okay? The reason? Ignorance. Ignorance is a very costly thing. That's why we have to learn. And according to St. Peter, we have to make every effort, you see? Knowing the Lord is not easy. We have to make every effort so that we can add to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Now friends, when Peter says about knowledge, he emphasized this word so much that he started his second epistle talking about knowledge and ends it with knowledge. And in between, he talks about it. Right? Now, say for example, in the first part of this letter, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Notice this, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. He's talking of abundance and grace. These things are the things we need for life, right? But where do we get this? Abundance and grace, according to Peter, through our knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything. Say everything. Everything we need for a godly life. How? Through our knowledge of Him. You see? He has given us everything that we need. But then, we have our part. We have to know Him. Now, of course, you know verse 5, it's the command to add to our faith knowledge. And then, towards the end of this epistle, the very last verse, you know how Peter ended his epistle? This is what he said. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. See? Before Peter died, he gave his last words. And you know, the last words that he left to the Christians before he died. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Very important thing. For Peter, if there is one thing that he wants to leave to the, you know, to the Christians before he goes back to heaven... It is this, grow in the knowledge of God. We can never know God enough. There is still so many things to know about God. But you have to understand, he used different words for knowledge. In English, they're all knowledge. Now in the Greek, they are similar, but they have some distinctives. All right? 
So let me just give you, you know, a little bit of, you know, Greek grammar today. All right? We've, we've taken note of the, the words knowledge used by Peter in several verses. Now, verse 2 and 3, he used the same word. The Greek word is epignosis. Now, in verse 5 and the last verse of the epistle, grow in the grace, in the knowledge, he used a different word. They are all, they're all similar, but then they have some nuances. It's just gnosis. There is no uh, prefix epig or epi. Right? Now, to understand that, because he's talking of two different Stages of knowledge here. When Peter said in verse 2, grace and abundance be yours through your knowledge of Christ. And then he says, His divine power has given you everything you need through your knowledge of Christ. He's talking there of what you call saving knowledge. Saving knowledge. Saving knowledge is the foundation of salvation. It's a gift. See? It's a gift. It's given to you and to me. That's faith. Okay? How can a person be saved? You have to believe, right? But how can you believe if you don't know? <laughs> See? That knowledge, epignosis, the Greek word there, it speaks of a knowledge based on a personal and intimate relationship. And that is why we always claim, you know, in our theology in our belief that salvation is not about religion. It's about a relationship. Why do we always say that? Because of that word. Knowing Jesus Christ is not just about knowing religiously, but knowing relationally. We need to have a growing, intimate, personal knowledge of Christ. See? That's the word used by Peter. But then, in verse 5, when Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith knowledge, grow in the knowledge of Christ, that's just the, you know, the simple word gnosis. Okay? That's where we get the word knowledge, gnosis. All right? It's sanctifying knowledge. In other words, that's the fruition of salvation as you as you continue to know Jesus Christ as your lord and savior you must grow in that knowledge of him so one knowledge is a gift the other we have to grow okay so now you understand peter is saying you are saved right now you're receiving grace upon grace right now because of this knowledge relational knowledge, saving knowledge of Christ. But then, you cannot depend on saving knowledge. You have to grow. So, that is our responsibility. You and I, we cannot know Jesus enough. We have to grow. That is why in our church, we encourage you, aside from just hearing the sermon, aside from having long sermons in Bradford Church, Aside from having so many verses to read, why do we have to supplement it with our weekly Bible study and devotional? Why? Because we know that's how we mature when we have more of His Word in our, in our lives. Amen? 
We cannot have, we cannot serve, sorry, here in Bradford Church, we cannot serve you snacks during our services. Because we know our Christian life during the week, we will be meeting so many challenges, temptations. Where do you get the energy to fight those temptations except from the Word of God? Amen? So that's the rational. Why do you in Bradford Church, you know, you, you, you really study the Bible so well, you have to go deeper. Well, because that's the way it should be. Amen? Now, according to Proverbs 10, 14, here's the reason why we should know more. The wise store up knowledge. <laughs> but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. See? According to Solomon, if you want to be wise, you need to have more knowledge here. Here's a saying from the man who is what? Wise. He's a learned man. You know, he knows everything, but he's saying, no, we have to store up more knowledge because that's an investment. Somebody said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. If you're investing, investing in knowledge, you are also investing in the best interest. But what does it mean for us today to know Jesus Christ? Is it about knowing Him like, like you know, a student studying for the board exam? Is that how we know the Lord? Is, is it simply academic? Let me tell you, there are people who know Jesus Christ, who know theology back to back, you know, page to page in the scripture. They teach theology in universities but still they go to hell. You know why? Because they just know Jesus here. Alright? You know, the difference between going to heaven and to hell is the difference between your brain and your heart. A lot of us know Jesus here. It has never come to our heart to change our lives. That's the thing we want to learn this morning and how we really need to grow. It's not about your IQ. So many people today, because of their IQ, they try to learn Jesus and eventually leave Jesus Christ because they say, my IQ level doesn't match you know, this thing about Jesus, Jesus. See? That's why some, so many people became atheists. They abandoned their faith because they thought they, they knew too many about the Lord. But they are wrong because it's not about our IQ. And this is how Jesus Christ wants us to learn about Him. We can learn it from Peter himself. You know why? Because Peter was there. One of the first. In fact, some gospel writers say he's the first disciple. But it wasn't him. It was Andrew. <laughs> Right? Because Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. But then this is what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Alright? Learn from me. It's a command. He says, you have to learn it from me. Now that word learn, that word there, manthano, that's the Greek word, manthano. And, and, and that word manthano is just one of the derivatives of the Greek word mathetes, which is the word for disciple. See? That's the word. 
What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is learning from Jesus Christ. But I want us to understand what does it mean to learn about Jesus. Friends, there are three levels of knowing Jesus. Okay, and that's what we are going to study this morning. There's a personal level, all right, personal knowledge, and then there's what I call, sorry for the technical term, pedagogical level. Pedag pedagogy, what is that? Those teachers, you understand that, okay? What is that in, in teaching? Methods, right, of instruction, See, it's a biblical word. And then there's a practical level. Alright? So, first, we'll go with the personal level. That's the first step. That's the first thing in order for us to know God and to know Jesus. It must start from a personal encounter. So, three steps to learning Jesus. Here's the first step. The personal one. It starts with, I will follow you. It starts with, that decision, I will follow you, Lord. Okay? It starts with that. It starts with our faith. Knowing Jesus Christ starts when we meet Him personally and say, Lord, from this moment on, I will follow you. That's the beginning of knowledge. Alright? According to St. Paul in Colossians 2, 2-3, this is his prayer for the Christians. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. For what reason? In order that they may know. The Greek word there is epignosis. They may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know what Saint Paul is saying? How will people know the mystery of God? Jesus Christ. There is no other way that a person can know God except through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why for us Christians today, the only way for us to love God and to know God and to serve God is to our faith in Jesus Christ. It starts there. That's the prayer of Paul. Now, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. He is not just teaching us the way. He did not just, you know, come to say that this is the way. No, he says, I am the way. It's a personal knowledge. And that is why when, when Jesus saw them, you know, Jesus said, if you want, to know God, you follow me. <laughs> right? So Jesus is not just teaching the truth. He is the embodiment of the truth. See? He's the ultimate truth. And that's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is the process. There's so many definitions of discipleship. Let me just give it to you in a very simple way. It is simply the process of knowing and following Jesus. See? Remember our new principle in Bradford Church? Do not make it difficult for the Gentiles to enter the kingdom of God. According to James, the apostle. So let's, let's not complicate discipleship. What is discipleship? Process of knowing. You know God and then following Him. 
And that involves many things. Alright? Now, discipleship, according to Christ, starts with this first step. We have to move from the shoreline to the Savior. We need to move from the shoreline to the Savior. What do I mean by that? Now, the word disciple in Acts 11.26, we just ended our series on the book of Acts. Remember, the word disciple, mathetes, simply means a learner, a student, a follower. Okay? So, in Acts 11.26, the Bible says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So, meaning to say, the way Luke, you know, in his, in his historical book, the, the book of Acts, a disciple is equal to a Christian. Now, why, why is it important to know that? Because there are some people today, somehow, they would say, you're a Christian when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then, when you grow, you grow, you grow, then you become a disciple. Wrong. We don't find that in the Bible. If you remember, those people that, that Paul shared the gospel to, they were called immediately disciples. See? Disciple. So, if you're a Christian, then you have to be a disciple. And you're, if you're a disciple, you're commanded to make disciples. See? So, meaning to say, if, if you call yourself a Christian, a disciple, but then there is no desire to make disciples, that's a warning. Maybe you are not a Christian. Why you don't desire to make disciples? Disciples love to make disciples because the thing that you know that changed your life, you want to tell it to others. Now, if, if you are not excited to tell your faith to others, that's dangerous. You could not be a Christian. See? And please, if you are not sure if you're a Christian, please eat well, sleep well. I yell you kamatay. That's the point. Never die because you know where you are going. Okay? You only, you only prepare yourself to die when you know that you have faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Never die when you are doubting about your faith. Now, let's go to the shoreline to the Savior. In Matthew chapter 4, the beginning of the ministry of Christ, as Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. You know this story, right? And then Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or in, in the usual translation, I will make you fishers of men. See, that's the beginning of Peter and Andrew's knowledge of Jesus. See, it was Jesus who told them, come, follow me. And you know what they did? At once, they left their nets and followed him. Friends, that's the beginning of knowledge from shoreline to the Savior. Shoreline here represents what? Your common life, your secular life. We all, we all have our shoreline life. But we cannot remain in the shoreline. <laughs> okay? You cannot remain in the shoreline. It's either you have to move up to do something in the land, or you have to go to the deep because staying in the shoreline will not help you progress. Diba? We want to swim, but we cannot stay in the shoreline forever. 
See? You did not pay the resort just for you to stay in the shoreline. It's either you have to swim in the deep or you go back to your room, but you cannot stay in the shoreline. Friends, knowledge is leaving the shoreline and being with the Savior. That's why for Peter, it's either Peter will have to go to Jesus in the land preaching or they would have to go with Jesus in the deep through the storm. What is important? Don't remain in your shoreline. You cannot be a Christian and remain in your shoreline. See? Because knowing God will have to make you move from your shoreline. See? Second step, you know, in the personal level. So that's the personal level. Jesus called them, come follow me. And immediately they followed him. That's the beginning now of knowledge. So starting from there, They've been following Jesus. They've been through the miracles. See? They've been everywhere. Everywhere Jesus would go, they would follow. Friends, for the next three years, they've just been following Jesus. And those three years, they were knowing Him in a personal level. They slept with Him. They ate with them. See? They even went through storms with Him. That's knowing Jesus. It's a personal level. That's how we start. Lord, I will follow you. And following Jesus doesn't mean that everything in your life will be okay. That everything in your life will be, you know, safe. There were times that they skipped eating, right? There were times that they have to eat lunch but very late. There were times that they have to go through storms. They have to go through some deserts. They have to go through some rejections. Brethren, I tell you, leaving the shoreline doesn't promise you a safety and comfortable life. But what it does promise is this. You will not be alone. Because Jesus will be with you. Amen? Now, it, the second step is move from the head to heart. Move from head to heart. Now again, look at the prayer of Paul. Paul says, And this is my prayer that your love may abound, take note, more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I love the prayers of St. Paul. It's so nice if, if you want to develop your prayer life, follow the prayer life of St. Paul. See, his prayer life is not, I pray that you will have good health. I pray that you will have long life. You don't find those prayers. And those prayers are nice, but those are not the prayers Paul is praying. His prayers are more centered on what? The spiritual condition of the people. He's saying, my prayer is that you will abound in the love of God through your knowledge of Him. You cannot abound in His love unless you know Him more and more. Right? Now, going back to Jesus and the disciples, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Alright? Verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what does it mean to learn from Jesus? For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, first and foremost, when Jesus says, learn from me, it's a very personal thing. He's not saying, learn from my teachings, learn from my commands. No, he says, learn from me. 
It has to be a personal level first before it becomes a, what's, this, what's that word again? Pedagogical level. Pedagogical level. Ano maglisod-lisod pag yung words? Okay? It's a Greek word, pedagogy. Okay? Learn from me. See? Don't complicate things. Just learn from me. Jesus is saying, look at me. That's how you became, become a mature believer. Alright? For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. So what Jesus is saying is this. You don't just learn from me in the head. You have to learn from me in your heart. Amen? So that's, that's where we start with our knowledge of God. Okay? Start with that relationship first. Okay? That's why Jesus says, follow me. Learn from me. I am gentle. See? He's not talking about his teaching. He's talking about himself. Brethren, the reason why a lot of Christians today are not acting the way that they should because they only know Jesus here, not here. See? We have it all reversed. Jesus says, learn from me first. Look at me. See? That's how we become mature in faith. So it starts with the personal level. And then let's go to the, okay, help me pronounce this, pedagogical level. <laughs> I will study you. <laughs> so second to I will follow you, I will study you. Now this is very important because Peter, while they were following Jesus and knowing Jesus personally, Jesus made some pedagogical instructions. So example of that, Sermon on the Mount. You have the Olivet Discourse. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, it's... It starts from chapter 5 to chapter 7. Very long discussions. Whole day meetings. See? Jesus wasn't only going around eating. No. In fact, if you study the, if you study the Gospels, most of the time for the whole day, He would spend what? Teaching. And He would use all forms of methods. He would use illustrations. He would use, you know, He would use figures of speech. He would use object lesson. You see, Jesus was a master teacher. His pedagogy about teaching is supreme. In fact, in our Bible study for our, you know, our teachers here in Cebu Badford School, we studied you know, the pedagogical methods of Christ, how he taught. Why was Jesus so effective? He used different, different methods, different strokes for different folks. Notice Luke 24, 27. So everything about knowing Jesus is not just heart, of course. There's also the brain. See? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And this is during, by the way, let me give you the context. This is after his resurrection. Remember, he was going to, to Emmaus. And as he was walking there, there were two disciples so sad about what's going on. And the whole the whole travel, Jesus was with them. And the Bible says, He explained to them what He said in all the scriptures concerning Himself. The word explained there is where we get the English word, the theological word, hermeneutics. 
You know what is hermeneutics? The science of properly interpreting the scripture. Hermeneutics. Alright? Now, in preaching, there are two forms. There are two phases. If I'm going to be a good preacher, I have to master two. Hermeneutics. In other words, I have to clearly study the word so that I can present it to you. But then there's another side. Homiletics. Homiletics is what? Your delivery. Some people are very good with hermeneutics. Very good study, very good study, but very poor delivery. Some people are very good in homiletics. You know, they can, they can speak for hours. They can give you jokes, but very poor hermeneutics. Every teaching was not soundly studied. <laughs> See, you, you know, some preachers like that. They're very good in, in, in bringing the crowd to laugh, you know, to understand. But what you learn about the scripture, very little. We want to be balanced. We want to present to you, explain to you what the word means, but then in a way, in such a way that you would remember it, that you would understand. That's what Jesus did. He was explaining to them hermeneutically, you know, from every scripture. And you know what happened? Notice this. After Jesus left, you know, Jesus broke bread and then they remembered, oh, that was Jesus Christ. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? You see? That's head. That's pedagogical learning. Jesus was explaining to them. That is why, friends, in our church, it's important. You attend Sunday school. You attend Bible study. Why? Because there are many things that we discuss in the small group and in Sunday school that cannot be discussed here. Amen. See? Here, this is just one-way communication. I am preaching here. But then, in your small group, you can interact. You can learn from each other. See? And Jesus does that. While Jesus is good in, in preaching to crowds, he spent times with his disciples. You know, you, they ask questions. Jesus would answer them. See? Pedagogical way. See? He opened the scriptures. Now, friends, there are two ways to study the Bible. Two ways to study the Bible. Because that's the way we can study Jesus. Amen? There's no other way. By the way, there is no other way you can know Jesus except from the scripture. Any other information of Jesus as, aside from the scripture or outside the Bible cannot be trusted. Amen? What about books, Pastor? As long as those books were written based on the Bible. Alright? Two ways to study the Bible pedagogically. Okay, study the Bible as a textbook. You can study the Bible as a textbook. In other words, that's what we do when we have Bible studies, right? We study the verbs, we study the nouns. It's a textbook, right? An example of that is Ezra. Look at Ezra. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself, notice this, to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra is a good big group leader. <laughs> we need to have big group leaders like Ezra. You know what? He studied it. And the Bible, the word there for study, he scrutinized it. That's the meaning. He's really scrutinizing it. 
See? What does this verse mean? You know? Why did, why did Moses say this and here? See? That's how you scrutinize. You observe. But then, it says, and teaching it in Israel. See? That's the kind of big group leaders we need. Okay? People who are excited to scrutinize the scripture and then teach it to others. Now, according to 2 Timothy 2.15 in the New Testament, okay, here's what the Bible says. Do your best. Say best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, the word there, correctly handles, is a very interesting word in the Greek because in the Greek, it literally means who correctly cuts or divides. Paul is using a technical term that they use. Remember, he was selling tents. And when they cut, it has to be so precise. So the idea there is that it has to be a precise cutting. The idea is this. God wants all Christians to really study the Word. That He wants us to really study it correctly. <laughs> proper, with precision. You know the danger of studying the Scripture or teaching the Scripture outside its context? You are leading people astray. <laughs> and that's what false teachers were doing during the time of Peter. Yeah. See? They were, they were using the scripture, but then applying it in their, own, in their own personal agenda. All right? They're leading people astray. That is why it's important to read the Bible without any... Okay, there are two ways in reading the Bible. There's what you call eisegesis and exegesis. You're familiar with these technical words? When you say, I see Jesus, it means you're, you now have your concepts already and then you let the scripture to, you know, to fit your concept. Exegesis, that's what we are doing here. We let the word speak for itself. That's why you always, why do you, does Pastor Mackey and our pastor, he's talking according to the Greek, according to the Greek. Because the New Testament was written in Greek. All right? And then in the mode of translation, sometimes some nuances are missing. That's why we have to go, what is this word? You know, when, when Paul says this, what does it mean then? Okay? Exegesis is allowing the scripture to speak for itself. Yes. See? Without you trying to incorporate your own understanding to it. That's what we want. That's what Paul is saying, Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to study the Bible correctly. One who is approved by God. So we have to study it as a textbook, but then there's a second way to study the Bible. Okay? Because if, if the Bible is just a textbook for you, then you become so academic with it. And you can become what? According to Paul in, in Romans chapter 13, he says, he says, you know. Knowledge puffs up. But love is more important. See? We don't want to be proud because of our knowledge. See? So we have to use the Bible not just as a textbook, but as a tactical guide. What do you mean by a tactical guide? What do you mean by a tactical guide? When do you use a tactical guide? See, when you're, when you're traveling. See? It's like a map. See? It guides you. 
And that's the use of the Bible. The Bible guides us. Notice this, 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them, notice this, as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. See? Peter wants us to understand that we need to treat the Scripture not just as a textbook, but as a reminder on how we should live, how we should think. Verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commands given by our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ through your apostles. He's saying, let, you know, recall these words. Why? Because these are important to how you live your life. Alright? And then Peter went on to say in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, notice this, crave, say crave. Crave for pure spiritual milk. There has to be a craving. See? So that by it, you may, what's the goal? Grow up. You see? The goal of studying the Bible is not for you to become theologians. <laughs> it's not for us to become so proud that we know so many things about God. See? The purpose of craving for the Word like a milk is for us to grow up in salvation. Amen? Now that you have tasted that, the Lord is good. Amen? This, the, do you think the Lord is good? He is so good. And the more you know His goodness, the more you want to know about Him. Amen? And that's what Peter is saying. You know, you learn it personally, you learn it pedagogically, alright? And that leads us to the third and last. Practically. Knowledge is also practical. I don't know with you, but sometimes what you know, if it just remains in the brain, doesn't make sense. But once what you know and then you try to apply it, now you realize, ah, oh, so this is how it works. See? Simply reading the instruction doesn't help. Read the instruction and then do the instruction. Then you will realize your knowledge about God will become better. See? So from, I will follow you, I will study you, Lord. Next, I will obey you, Lord. Because knowledge, listen, knowledge is not the end in itself. Knowledge is simply the means to an end. And the end is what? I will obey God. Alright? Now Jesus said, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? You will obey. If you love me, obey my commandments. See? Jesus already stated it. A lot of people today say, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but we are not loving Jesus the way He wants to love. Now we understand the love language of Jesus. <laughs> What's the love language of Jesus? It's obedience. It's service. See? He doesn't just want us to say, Oh Lord, you are so good. Jesus said, well, so nice, you know, thank you. And he's not even into gift, but there's some love language a gift. We can give Jesus, but we know the love language of Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. That's his love language. Now, according to David Jeremiah, okay, in which book we are using as a reference for the, you know, for these 40 days, he said, you simply cannot acquire knowledge of God without changing 
like this. Your personality, your behavior, your values, and your habits. You cannot. You cannot say you know God and live differently. Why? Because in Christianity, what we know will really affect what we do. Because if there is a gap between our knowing and our doing, that's not Christianity. That's hypocrisy. And that's what, you know, the, that's what the, the Pharisees were doing. They know a lot about Scripture. See? They can memorize Scripture. But why is it that Jesus was so against them? Because what they know is not affecting. See? What they have here never reach here never reach their practical and emotional level. And so friends, once we know Jesus Christ, number one, be prepared. Be prepared to change your values. See? This is a warning. If you are so determined to know Jesus, and if you really want to know Jesus in the biblical way, be ready, be prepared, because you will have to change your values. How your standards, how you live your lives, it will change. Look at Ephesians 4, 21 to 23. And by the way, from this, I'm using the Living Bible because it, it gives the nuances of the text. Notice this. If you have really heard His voice and learned from Him, I like that. If you really learn from Him, the truth concerning Himself, that's Jesus, then, notice this. Throw off your old evil nature. The old you that was a partner in your evil ways, rotten through and through, full of lust and sham. <laughs> See? Now, a lot of us Christians, you know, we claim that we know Jesus, we learn Jesus, we, we go to church every Sunday, but still, we are holding on to our old filthy, filthy clothing. Diba? Physically, we don't want to reuse a shirt. But spiritually, we have the habit of recycling our evil behaviors. So sad. Again, what is true to the physical must be true. See? We don't reuse a shirt, right? But we, we love to reuse our old behaviors. See? Throw them off. Now look at verse 23. Now your attitudes and thoughts all must all be constantly. I love that changing for the better. That's why I chose the Living Bible translation because you know it gives you exactly what, what Paul was saying there. See? Your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Friends, the idea there is that I am responsible for the changing. I cannot allow others to do that for me. See? You cannot depend on me for your changing. I'm just here teaching. But the changing part, oh no, it's yours. It's mine. Okay? Yes, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. Okay? That's the price of knowing Jesus. Be prepared to change your values. All right, second, be prepared to change your vision. Christians, you know, the Bible says without vision, people will perish. See? We need to have vision. We need to know. We don't just live for the day. Remember, I, I told you, you only live once. See, that's, 
the YOLO principle, that's not all biblical. Because as Christians, yes, we live now, but with our minds towards the future. Our vision for the future determines how I live my life now. I cannot detach my present life with my future life. Why? Because they're all connected. If I'm going to stay in heaven, if I'm going to live in heaven, then I have to prepare myself how to live in heaven today. Amen? You cannot just because I'm living in heaven, I have to enjoy earth now. Wrong. Walang beer sa heaven, pastor. Walang nightlife sa heaven because it's, it's all day in heaven. So I have to enjoy nightlife now. See? How your value system works? That's not how it works. Change your vision. Okay, lo- let's go to Colossians. Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Very good thing about Paul about vision. Since you became alive again, in other words, since you are born again, since you are now a believer, when Christ rose from the dead, now set your sights on the rich treasures and joys of heaven where He sits beside God in the place of honor and power. I love what Paul says there. Set your sights. In other words, your vision. See? Now that you're born again, don't live your life as if your vision is just on the earthly now we need to have double vision. Vision for the earth, but then my vision is heavenward. Yes. See? What's your vision? Are you just thinking of your life here and now? See? That's what the, the devil wants us to believe. That's what the devil does to our new generation today. They just want young people to enjoy their life now. Now is the most important thing. Seize the moment. Well, there are truths to that but not the whole truth. Because the devil wants people to enjoy now neglecting the future because he knew that they have no future if they enjoy now. <laughs> See? Friends, as Christians, while we can enjoy the present, but we make sure that our present is connected to our future. Amen? Amen? We need to be prepared to change our vision. Now, Paul says in verse 2, let heaven... Feel your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You see? Paul is saying, you Christians, you always think of the now, the now, the now. You have neglected the vision of what? Of your future. See? You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and God. See? That's what it means to be changed in the way we look at our life, our vision. Are you truly looking at heaven? Then let it decide and dictate the way you live your life now. Amen? And third, there's a third part. And I like this part. Be prepared to change your vibes. Wow. <laughs> you see, a Christian, a Christian can have a very good value system, a very good vision, but very bad as a friend, as a neighbor. Bad attitude. Tino, nindot kayo og value system, but only the system. It's not coming out. What do you mean by vibes? You know, this is a common word now. You say, I like the vibes. What's vibes? Okay? It's a state of your emotion. You see? See? It's a state of a person's emotion. See? Your disposition in life. You're happy. See, it affects 
Because some people, some Christians, you know, they know Jesus so much, but it's like they were baptized with vinegar. Maasim yung life. Very hard to live with. See? Nobody wants to be with you if you're always, if you're always, you know, galit, masungit. See, the vibe is not there. Nobody wants to be with you. No wonder they say you go to heaven alangoy. Maybe you are good in heaven, but not here on earth. <laughs> Friends, no, no, no. A real Christian is, should be good both here in heaven and on earth. Amen? Because some Christians are no good earthly. Good only for heaven. Mo nga, mga mabait, sana kunin ka na ni Lord. Siguro sobrang bait that they, nobody wants to be with them. See, the Bible says, okay, in the Living Bible, 2 Peter 1, 2, and 3, Do you want more and more of God's kindness and peace? Then learn to know Him better and better. I like that. If you want grace and kindness, friends, where do you get the vibes here? Of course, you cannot give what you don't have. Are you following? So Peter is saying, if you want the kindness and the grace of God, you know what? That's the thing that we give off. See? When, when we experience the kindness and the grace of God, the result is we become kind and gracious to others. And Peter says, how do you get the kindness and peace of God? Learn to know Him better and better. For as you know Him better, He will give you through His great power, take note, everything you need for living a truly good life. Friends, for me, a truly good life is not just me having salvation, having all that I need that I want. Having a good life is that I have a good relationship with others. Doesn't matter how much you have, right? Doesn't matter if, you're, if you have so many things, you are good, you know the Bible, but then you're alone because your vibes is toxic to others. That's not a good Christian. That's not a good life. See? Everything you need for living a truly good life, He even shares His own glory and His own goodness with us. And that is why, let me tie up with what Paul says in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Live, therefore, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. What opportunity? Opportunity to discourage them? No. Opportunity for them to know that here's a person who knows Jesus. Amen? Let your conversation be gracious. I like that. And attractive. Brethren, are you attractive before unbelievers? See? Is your aura, is your, you know, vibes, is it attractive? Now, there are two ways to be attractive. Okay? Not the wrong way. The wrong way to be attractive is you speak their language. You know, you walk their talk. In other words, you become like them. That's not what Jesus did. See? We can still be attractive without doing the sins and the bad things they're doing. By not being judgmental. By learning to understand and be gracious. That I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to force you. I'm just here to show you what it means to live a new life. Amen? Attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Brethren, most of you, you are working in the secular world, right? 
be attractive. Make it easy for you to invite. You see, when they see that we, have lived, we are living a beautiful life and then we invite them to Bible study and to our church, you know what? They will not think twice. You know why? Maybe that's the reason why you have a good life because of this Bible study you're joining. Maybe because of your faith. Not like the other. Okay, the other way. I shared this to our Bible study group. Can you still bear with me? Okay. Sometimes, this is how you meet. Diba? Makita mo sa church. We have four services or five. And then, nakita mo sa imong close friend. Ha? Bradford ay ka? Uy, Bradford mo ay ka? Nashock mo ito ha? It happened here. No, nashock silang ito ha? Uy, Bradford mo ay ka? Oh, nag-appeal ko sa five. Ganong nashock sila? Nashock maybe because they never expected. That's a bad way to meet someone here. Ganong man? Wala, nashock siya because that person never realized na you're a Christian because of how you live. Nashock siya. But here's the good thing. Nakita mo si mong friend, bam, and then sa daan pa ko. No wonder, no wonder, because you're a Christian. See, that's the nice thing. So the next time makita mo, ignay mong friend, ay, kashock, ha? Okay. As if they, they are not expecting, you see? Because if you are really good and kind wherever you are, I tell you, people will simply say, ah, no wonder you have that lifestyle, you have that vibes because you're a Christian. Friends, let's put, paint a nice picture of what a Christian is. Let's change it. Let's put a nice picture of who Jesus Christ is. Live that way. Because that is how we tell people that we know Him. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this message this morning. Thank you, Lord, that learning to know You is an exciting thing, oh God. It's an enjoyable thing. It's not heavy. It's not some kind of studying You, like studying for the board exam. It's a life-to-life -life experience. And we pray, Father, that in this series, we make effort to know you more, to study you more, to study your life, and with, with the application of that, allowing such life to be reflected in us so that others will see how much we know about you, Lord, through the values that we have, the right vision that we have, and the good vibes that we have. Oh, Jesus Christ, thank you for coming to earth. Maybe there are people here this morning. Maybe you're right here this morning. You don't know what it means to be a disciple. Or you're asking, am I a disciple? Brethren, you can be a disciple. Start that discipleship by accepting Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner. Please forgive me for all my sins. I want to be part of your kingdom. Save me, Lord. Today, I invite you. I welcome you. I request you, Lord Jesus, please enter into my life. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. And help me in this journey to grow in knowing you daily. In Jesus' name, Amen.